Hello everyone and welcome to this first episode of The Love Cupboard. Today we're going to be talking all about dating and relationships. We're delighted to be joined by two fantastic guests, one of them being Justin Myers, who is an author and journalist perhaps best known for writing under the pseudonym The Guyliner. He's written three novels, The Last Romeo, The Magnificent Sons and The Fake Up. Justin has had long-running columns in Gay Times and GQ magazines, and his writing has appeared in major publications including The Guardian, The Times, The Eye, Irish Times and Grazia. We're also joined by Emily Lavinia, who's a sex and relationships editor at Cosmopolitan magazine, an LGBTQ plus sexologist and sex educator, and she also writes a weekly Substack column on sex, love and dating called The Cuff. Fantastic. And thank you so much to both of you for joining. And uh, we're going to really get into some interesting topics. And I feel like the discourse on dating is a constant nightmare for people to kind of uh, traverse and as our podcast, The Love Cupboard, is all about men and we want to focus it on men's experiences, the, the kind of the first question I wanted to ask is a more kind of broad thing, which is what is the problem with dating now? What is the biggest kind of problem in men's kind of arsenal of issues that they have, which is preventing more progress? I think you should take this one, Justin, just to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a big question to start with, but I'm not afraid of big questions. But the answer, what's the problem with dating at the moment? Well, it's men, isn't it? It's <laughs> a good answer, yeah. Well, I didn't want to be the one to say it. I think we just have to start at number one, really. <laughs> men are currently the biggest problem in dating at the moment, I think. Whether it's not being open enough about how they're feeling, not being communicative enough before and after dates, not quite knowing how to behave on dates and how they treat people that they date when they're in the relationship. I don't think it's necessarily irretrievably lost forever. But I do think that some work needs to be done. And in a way, it's not necessarily men's fault. I don't want to get the patriarchy word out so quickly Please into do. the Please podcast, do. but we have to really. The problem really is not just men. It's the problem is that men don't quite know how to behave. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I do think that we are experiencing a huge communication gap and, you know, Anyone that's dating men is part of the problem too because they're not communicating their desires, their needs. We're just kind of saying, oh, why are men? And then putting up with it. Mm. So there needs to be a systemic change. And yeah, you know, pulling pulling the P card and blaming the patriarchy early doors is important because it is a systemic issue in terms of how we relate to one another. Yeah, I think that's really important because getting the P word out quite early on is, <laughs> it's a strong one, um, but it is so important because quite a lot of those issues around dating, around communication and around public and private moments are so entrenched in patriarchy mm. and those sexual inequalities which still exist. Um, just sort of going from that, I mean, dating is, like I said, a public and a private thing. Um, quite often, I feel that dating is seen by men as a process, not necessarily as an experience. Um, I was thinking about this, um, funnily enough, on my travels and on the way here. I was thinking, surely dating is you know, it has to be an experience for people to enjoy. But I mean, do you see it like that as a kind of a, more of a process? I think they see it with an end goal. And that end goal is either sex or a relationship. They, they're quite, I think a lot of men are quite impatient to get to this end point, to get to this goal. And that's probably why... The dating 
part of the process. I mean, it is a process, really. Mm. But that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the experience along the way. But I think perhaps there's an impatience and a rush to get to the end of this process that they don't perhaps do the dating part as well as they could. Where yeah. do you think that impatience stems from? Is it, again, related to patriarchal kind of ideas? Well, do you know what? It's Funnily enough, I have walked past two groups of men in the last couple of days talking about women. One of them was a very young group of men. They can't have been more than teenagers. And one of them said that a girl had texted them and said she liked him. And the other guy said, you need to fuck her. Now... That just seems like jumping many steps ahead for me, but mm-hmm. I think it's just a, it's a, it's an inability maybe to see that the dating part of it can be enjoyable. Well, it doesn't even have to be romantic. It could be just getting to know someone. You know, getting to know a person is an enjoyable experience. But I, I don't know why, to be honest, they're so impatient. But I just, I noticed that about men is that they can only see that point in the horizon, the, uh, well, the F. Usually. In my experience, it's, it's kind of two things. It's one, competitiveness. So we mm. have this kind of idea of hypermasculinity where the more people you can sleep with, the more sexual prowess you have, the better because you're an achiever, um, which is obviously problematic in many ways. And then we've got this kind of toxic productivity culture whereby you want to race through the steps, you want to get to the end goal as quickly as possible. And we find that in sex as well. You know, people aren't enjoying the process, which is why... You know, we're all encouraging each other now to download meditation apps that tell us to slow down in every aspect of our lives because we are racing towards finish lines that we're, you know, that are not even real. We're imposing these these standards on ourselves. So I do think women struggle a bit with that as well, but not really as much because obviously we have different standards for success, especially when it comes to sexuality and ours is to remain chaste and virginal and to sleep with nobody, which is also very problematic. (laughs) That's interesting. I, I just go back on um, Justin's thing about those young uh, men going from naught to 100, if you like, in, yeah. the, in what they were saying. Do you think that's also like an element of immaturity that they're just jumping the gun immediately because they don't know how to react to it, the, the idea that someone actually might like them? Well, then I was walking past a group of older men and it was a very similar, similar conversation. I don't think I think it's a it's an emotional immaturity. Yeah. yeah. But I think Emily's absolutely right, actually, about the competitiveness. We're in competition. We're in competition with people we don't know, even. It's uh, There is no big prize, but that's how we feel about it. It's so strange. Do you think that... I don't mean to use... Uh, to dive straight into dating apps so early, but do you think it's also the fact that we are so reliant on dating apps for... Our, exp- our relationship or sexual experiences and for meeting people and dating apps are very highly geared towards this kind of transactional format of you know you look at someone's profile for maybe five seconds and you decide if you like them and if you don't you just swipe left and so we're not really engaging with other people in the same degree to which we might have done five years ago or ten years ago where mm. we might have actually met someone in a public place and and decided that we like them on the basis of not just their looks or what you know what their interests are but on how we engage with them in that particular moment or the kind of nuance and mystique of being attracted to another person do you think a lot of that is lost now because of dating apps so we are hurtling towards this idea of either i i want to, i like this person or i don't like this person 
and it's everything's just seems to be a bit more disposable i guess well dating apps aren't that new really when you think about it grinder is about 14 years old and tinder turned 10 last year so we're well entrenched now in dating app culture i think it's perhaps a misunderstanding of what how dating apps are used there's very much a gamification of dating now isn't there and it's uh there was the app i don't even know if it's still running thursday mm -hmm. which would only you could only swipe and select potential partners on a thursday mm -hmm. and it was dates going through a dating app is basically just another step from going through your phone it's just like scrolling twitter it yeah. doesn't really yeah. mean anything I think so it's not I don't even think that being on a dating app is necessarily comparable to meeting someone in a bar I don't think it's replaced it it's just a different leisure activity yeah I totally agree with you and I think that the gamification is is the crux there you know it's a sexual fruit machine you you yeah. pull the lever and if you don't see anything you like you pull it again and you know the algorithms on these apps serve us in a way that they'll show us people who are similar to what we might find our ideal to be um but they won't serve us what they know our ideal is based on how we've swiped because they want to keep us playing the game um which is quite dark when you think about it isn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. to use that love um that love island phrase uh, my type on paper mm. it's that it, you know <laughs> yeah that's it's, it. i mean it's a terrible phrase but it's so true for what tinder and you know mm. and it's a game do. you know yeah, exactly. it, it is just a game and People who deep it and take it way too seriously are the types of people that terrify me because you you can't put your faith in something like that. No, and whenever someone used to write in to me when I had the advice column at Gay Times and say, I can't meet anyone, I used to say, untick all these criteria that you have on the dating app or whatever, well, dating sites were a thing then, untick them. Open yourself up to the possibility of, a, you know, of serendipity because... As you, exactly like you were saying, the algorithm is not a person. It is not someone who actually knows you. It is making educated guesses on the information that you've put in. The information you've put in may not be honest um, and it may not be quality information. So just untick everything. I mean, easily said, easier said than done. But that would be always is always my advice to someone who's struggling with with apps or any kind of electronic dating. I wonder if that also feeds into unrealistic expectations of what a partner should be or the qualities that they should have because there is so much choice and we have all of these different filters that we have at our disposal to try and weed the people that we think aren't a good match for us mm. where actually we might just be really restricting ourselves because we're we're really narrowing this funneling this pool of people down into you know an, an ideal I guess of what we think a perfect partner should be where Actually, I don't think that a perfect partner exists. It's someone that, you know. My friend said to me the other day, I think my hinge is broken. And I said, why? Why is your hinge broken? She said, because I asked it for a six foot four guy with tattoos who has a, a degree and loves children. And it hasn't given me one yet. And I was like, oh, yeah, it must, must be broken. Like, I don't know what else to it's tell not you. not the Argos catalog. <laughs> it's like going to the doctor and getting a prescription. Yeah. 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 It's just not, it's not sustainable. It's, it's not good for your mental health, I think, to be, to be so granular about these kind of things. I think it also makes us so much more picky in our real life as well. Say if we, you know, go, go through Tinder swiping or Hinge swiping or whatever, and then you do eventually have a situation in real life where you are in a dating kind of mode or someone is showing an interest, you're like, well, actually they are, they're into horse riding and I don't really like horse riding, so I'm not going to go out with them. I think it makes us... Yeah, funneled into a kind of a position where we're so picky about who we want. 
I think people do want to meet in real life, by the way. I don't think that that is that people are just now rejecting these uh, meet cutes or whatever to go online. I do think that people still want to do that. But the opportunities are much scarcer. More people are working from home. You know, technology has not just replaced how we approach dating. It's replaced communication generally. So we are just more at home on our phones or on our, on our computers. Um, I don't know whether it's going to take a, a global internet blackout to get us back into bars picking each other up again. But I do think the thirst for real-life interactions is there. And I feel that with the general weariness around dating apps, I do think we're going to go back to that in some way or another. Uh, quite how it's going to look, I'm not sure. But um, I'm already seeing... Um, have you heard about um, Date Me Docs? Or oh, you'll know about Date Me Docs. Have Google heard Docs. Heard yeah. Dating through oh, Google Docs. Yes, they, they have like a almost like a resume, don't they? So basically people... compiling a dossier on yourself. Yeah. I mean... I don't, I'm not sure how how much of a high opinion of yourself you would have to do to yeah, do that. I can't even write three lines about myself, but okay. Um, and you you well, you just post a link to your mm. Google Doc and see if anyone's interested. You post your attributes, what you're looking for. In a way, it's still quite prescriptive and, and tight with criteria and everything. But people are kind of taking it into their own hands and cutting out the middleman, sick of being swiped left or right on and, and meeting these people who aren't suitable and time wasters and all that kind of stuff and just putting themselves out there. It's quite an innovative way of doing it, really. I think that, I mean, it's a little bit scary because there's still that element of anonymity that goes into it, mm. um, which I think drives quite underneath all of the dating apps, which is that element of safety, um, especially with Tinder and Grindr. I think there's just this element of you could go on a date and not be sure if you're going to get home, <laughs> I mm. think, especially but with women and, you know, my experience is, you know, being queer. It's, yeah, it can be quite scary. Uh, and I I don't think we talk about that nearly enough. No, apps are very good for vetting. And I think that's why, um, especially for a lot of women um, or people who feel more vulnerable, they can serve as a really decent tool because you can vet, you can spend time talking, you can kind of hold someone at arm's length while you check out their credentials. And also there's been the arrival of these massive a million strong Facebook groups where people are posting pictures of a guy and saying, any tea? Does anyone know? Has anyone been on a date with this guy? Yeah. And we're crowdsourcing information on safety, mm. um, which is, you know, it's not ideal. And social media is probably not the best place to do that. <laughs> but this is where we are. It's one way of kind of not solving the issue because it's not going to solve it. But it's one way of kind of tackling that issue of saying this person is a serial misogynist, a serial cheater, and actually you need to be careful. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've always felt with um, Tinder, especially, it's just, I, I've always felt with Tinder, it's like a, it is a bit of a graveyard um, for like human thought, just because <laughs> it just, it's just where love goes to die, I think. I think Tinder is one, probably one of the, the worst of the bunch now. Um, yeah. It doesn't seem like anyone's there for anything remotely serious. It, it seems like validation um, but more than anything else, but... though, because I, 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 I mean, I don't get, I am on Tinder, but I don't get many matches, and I, I, I just, I don't feel at all validated by getting matched because I just think it's just they've just moved their thumb, they've not looked into my. Psyche. This is someone who's had no swipes and has widened that criteria just a exactly. little bit to fit me in. Exactly, yeah, exactly, and it's like you match with me at two a.m. Like, I mean, <laughs> mm, are you yeah, really no. seriously thinking about it? <laughs> Um, so that, that, that kind of brings me on to another question around, the, I, I suppose, the psychological impact of dating apps and what this is doing for 
I guess not just men's confidence, but everyone's confidence in general, where, as you said, we're, we're using dating apps. They've, they've, they're a part of app culture, which itself is quite instant, quite... Um, I guess we're not treating it very seriously. It's something that we do, you know, for five minute breaks here and there. And we're, it, it's, it's a very kind of quick fire way of engaging with, with something. Um, what sort of impacts do you think this is having on men and women, I guess, that, you know, potentially not getting many matches or the conversations aren't going very well because someone might ghost someone else? Are you seeing anything in terms of, for, for instance, Emily, with, with your column and, and people who write in, do they talk about this kind of thing? Yeah, I think studies are very much showing um, from the likes of dating apps who are gathering their own data or, or people like Kinsey, they're, you know, they're noticing that um, we're kind of in a crisis of personal value at the moment where we do feel that we don't matter as much because there's so much competition, because it's a shop window, because we're up against... Um, you know, so many other people, but we're also up against things like filters and unrealistic body image. And, you know, there's just a lot happening on these dating apps that can make you feel absolutely terrible and really question your self-worth. And with the dating pool being so large as well, living in a city like London or New York or somewhere like that, you're up against so many other people. And, uh, and you do start to feel that that can chip away at your confidence, which I think is the case for men and women. I think it's, you know, it's the case for everybody. Ultimately, we all want to be validated and we all want to be loved and we all want to, you know, find respect or sexual attraction or anything on the spectrum of, of interpersonal relationships from another person. Um, and sometimes even when we are getting it, we think, well, how many other people are they saying that to? How, how legitimate is it? You know, how many people are they chatting to at this moment in time? Which um, I think is quite a real fear for people who are looking for long-term monogamous relationships on dating apps. We're seeing a, a much more of an upswing towards people who are in ENM relationships or want to be polyamorous or want to experiment with that. Um, people on apps aren't necessarily looking for the one anymore. Um, and that can have an effect on people's self-esteem as well because they might think, well, why am I not marriage material? And I think that upsets a lot of people. And uh, and it is one of the things that I find people are writing in most about. It's interesting because what I would say is that dating apps have certainly exacerbated that sense of lack of personal value, lack of um, self-confidence, I think, um, in approaching anyone on dating apps or in real life because you've been rejected or you know turned away and ghosted so many times. But I wouldn't say that's a new thing. I feel that that's, that exists pre-dating apps rejection is forever exactly yeah. <laughs> i think it is it's a, a very much a human nature thing um and i think that men in particular take it quite quite personally but even though they might not want to admit it because it's this whole thing around you know quite fragile masculinity they wouldn't want to show on the outside that they're affected but actually inside they're feeling quite vulnerable that someone who they may have spent time with or gone on dates with has actually said well no i'm not interested i think that's quite quite difficult mm. being rejected really hurts and I think um, you know we know that it's quite difficult for men to be in their feelings and often they don't have anyone to talk to and they don't have anyone to confide in and you know all this kind of toxic masculinity and bravado means that they're encouraged to go all right on to the next I'm just going to get onto someone else even though that's not what they want to do at all and you know they need to take some time to recover from those feelings um, and I think there's a big part to play in sex and relationships education for young boys 
when it comes to being in those feelings, acknowledging them and not, you know, being reactive or being misogynist when it comes to rejection, because, you know, it does hurt, it hurts everybody and it hurts all of us if you then behave in that reactive, aggressive way afterwards. This has been perhaps one of the most interesting things about uh, the digital age is amplifying just how much men are struggling with things like rejection Mm -hmm. and how that uh, manifests itself in their interactions, especially with women, the kind of horrific things they say that are, you know, I don't want to just excuse it as lashing out, but that's obviously what it is. I don't for a minute think that these men really believe, you know, what they're saying. Um, But um, yeah, it's definitely coming through in the communication. I don't think necessarily anything has changed or dating apps are making it worse. Like you say, this has always been going on in varying degrees. It's just that we're noticing it much more. We're much more conscious of it, which in a way is a good thing because it's now hopefully equipping us with the evidence we need that that we need to fix it. Yeah, that's right. And I think, as Emily said, it's about that education. Yeah. You can equip the younger generations with the fact that we have these dating apps and they've proven to be quite terrible for treating women and girls this way. Mm. Um, and it actually has such an impact on your own mental health as a, as a boy or a man um, that we need to try and solve it. Um, you've also predicted our final episode, which is on sex and relationships <laughs> education. Um, it's it's something that really important that we want to kind of go into. Um, it's something uh, on rejection as well is this kind of psychological feeling that rejection is the be all and end all. Like, I don't know if that's the same now. If, like, you know, with dating apps opening ourselves up, places like say a fruit machine of whatever, um, is that sort of the same feeling like rejection now? Now that we have this choice, this this marketplace. I think we're all doing so much kind of quote unquote work on ourselves, you know, as well, that we're all trying to become tougher, more resilient in this age where, you know, we're coming up against a lot of issues socially, economically, you know, we're we're finding time and time again that we need to grow a thicker skin, Um, which is what I find so hilarious when, you know, people of an older generation talk about how fragile younger people are, because I don't think they are. I think they're really tough and actually things like dating apps have created an atmosphere where yes it hurts and yes it's difficult to process but you know I've been ghosted a bunch of times and now I feel like I'm okay I don't take it personally I know it's not a reflection of me it's it's a them problem. <laughs> I wanted to touch upon actually this um, it kind of relates to what we've just been saying this idea of vulnerability and resilience which I think for me it comes up a lot when it comes to dating and relationships and how we square that kind of circle I suppose because as you're saying we're all being told to be more resilient and tougher and stronger and independent Um, and yet it seems that vulnerability and honesty and openness are needed during the dating process and within a relationship but we're not really culturally I suppose being um, you know being sort of funneled in that direction so that we can be more genuine and more open people how do we sort of balance that out? How do we balance the resilience that we need to go through the dating process and relationships with also this need for vulnerability and openness? Particularly, I think, in a culture where we still have this interpretation of masculinity and what is seen as attractive as being confidence and strength and not showing weakness. 
how do we reconcile those two things? It's the eternal question, isn't it? And I have so many friends who say that they want a man to be vulnerable and they want him to show his emotions, but then in the same breath, they'll say that they want like a, a man's man. And, you know, I've, I'm just thinking, these poor guys do not know which direction to turn because, you know, obviously it would be great if we could all be in our emotions and really vulnerable with each other. But that process has always been incredibly difficult. It's very hard to open yourself up to a stranger. Um, I find it, even when I'm having conversations about being a sex positive person, if someone's not on your level, um, you know, they're not going to meet you where you are. So it's all very well me being vulnerable. But if a bunch of people aren't going to get it and are just going to be offensive, then uh, why, you know, why did I bother opening myself up? And I think for men, it's very, very difficult as well because of toxic masculine standards. You know, they're not just going to lay themselves bare at the, at the feet of every person they match with on a dating app. It's impossible. Um, it's very difficult. I, I think Justin probably has better advice on that, having written the column for so long. Oh, I don't know about that, but I would say that we do definitely underestimate the external pressures on men from the people they date, as you touched on before. You know, we always, always see, I'm looking for a confident man. And I never understand what that means, really, because what is confidence to you? Uh, you know, are you wanting someone who will what, be able to complain about the bill or it's just it, I find it a very puzzling a puzzling adjective to use when you are looking for a partner because I think confidence in some ways is overrated. You can't have someone who is on all the time because they will never show that vulnerability. And I think it can be quite confusing for men because we are supposed to be these always on, always hard, you know, emotionless sex machines who can take control, always be ready. And that just doesn't fit into modern living. And I think it makes a lot of men appear angry and, you know, ironically, less dateable. Um, vulnerability, as you were saying, is, is so important. And I think it, it really does tie into rejection. You would think, actually, with men seeing dating as such a, a process-driven end goal kind of thing, that they would embrace rejection as part of that process, hopefully, and learn from it. But I know from bitter experience in writing about it that just men are very reluctant to accept anything that will reveal a softer side, that will, um, you know, reveal that they are not a winner all the time. It, it's, it must be exhausting. I, I, I feel a bit sorry for men. I say that as if I'm not one, but, you know, <laughs> other men, other lesser men <laughs> who are not in touch with their emotions. But I, I feel sorry for them. Because there's actually few things, in, in my opinion anyway, more attractive um, than somebody who is willing to open themselves up to you and just not be all right all the time, not be confident all the time. Um, just have those moments where they are, whether it's being introverted or I don't know, vulnerable, I'm not sure of the correct term, but just, just the dimmer switch is very important, I think. Yeah, yeah and particularly because... None of us are confident all the time. We're, no. we, we're all, you know, doubt ourselves or we're all unsure of ourselves at certain times and putting on this facade of 100% of confidence at all times is, as you say, exhausting, yeah. but also seems to me an impossible task. I think demanding uh, that a partner be confident is 
it's quite telling and it feels to me like it's expressing an unwillingness to be able to you know handle somebody who can't be like that all the time i don't want any weaknesses i don't want any you know peaks and troughs you just want this constant um i don't think it's a overly healthy way to go into a relationship hmm. well you're looking for a guard dog not a boyfriend in yes. that case i think and <laughs> in right. that case just get a doberman a <laughs> that's something i've also noticed with um again just very briefly going back to dating apps but seeing people put on their um, bio looking for someone who can take banter i was thinking i mean does that mean you want someone to slag off and they're okay with it or do you just want to have a bit of like you know friendly to and fro i just don't is that being like are you asking someone to be vulnerable or not in that situation i feel like the term banter is probably triggering for most of us oh, because we all we all grew up feeling like we maybe didn't fit in so yeah the i think banter is um is a term for me at least that you know if someone wants to openly criticize you and then say it's just banter i just think well you're terrible at flirting um and i grew up with banter being like you know people taking the piss out of me because they were like mm, lesbian so you know it's really it really doesn't sit right with me um but yeah, I I see that as wanting to be able to connect with another person, not being able to do it. So using this kind of bullying humor as a way to cut through a boundary. And I do think it's unhealthy, but that's just my personal opinion. No, I'm with you on that. And I think that the problem with me for about banter is that it feels like a test, an endurance test. And I think true banter if you want to call it that can only really come when you've known somebody a very very long time and it may never come in a relationship you know we all have friends that we've had for a long time that we would never joke you know about their hair looking shit or something like that and yet we have other friends where we can do that if you really want to do that i would never say anything about any of my friend's hair i don't know why i use that as an example so to again it's this this conversation we're having about criteria to want this person who you can have this Ori, ori back and forth like two men at the wheel of two white vans <laughs> i just find it strange that you'd be so prescriptive so earlier on uh, so early on if it's going to develop it's going to develop what other sort of aspects of communication and getting to know someone in the dating process are you seeing with the people that interact with you um in your columns and elsewhere are there any other sort of problematic behaviors or attitudes towards discourse and getting to know someone that, that you're seeing that are quite prevalent? I think the open-mindedness thing is important because I, what I'm seeing now is because there's been a boom in people embracing non-monogamy, a lot of people are using those kinds of terms as a kind of get out of jail free and using them to, um, not be accountable for themselves, their behaviors and their, you know, their actions. Um, but then saying, oh, well, I'm, you know, I said from the, from the beginning that I need someone open-minded or that I'm non-monogamous or, but actually what they're doing is quite um, upsetting for their partner and their partner didn't sign up for it, but they're hiding behind these turns of phrase um, and these acronyms that, that people on the scene use um, so that they can justify behavior that is actually not okay um that's one of the main things that i find i'm dealing with especially when it's normally one person that wants to open a relationship more than another or when someone's like well this is who i am and this is how i date and other people try to squeeze to fit 
around that because they like the person. And that's all, um, you know, that's all well and good. But I think we really hang ourselves out to dry when we push ourselves to be in situations like that. So that's something I'm noticing a lot, you know, these turns of phrase being used and them not necessarily being as ethical as um, as they purport to be. Yeah, it, it seems from what I can tell that these are being used to kind of just justify someone being able to see whoever they want. Mm. Um, or just, you know, not communicate often. or yeah. just be a bit of a dick, which is not okay. <laughs> yeah. It very rarely goes both ways either. Yeah, there's two people in that relationship, even if it's, you know, eth ethical non-monogamy. It's still two people, two people's feelings who are going to get hurt at the end of the day if neither one of them is accepting the other person's experience. This is a huge thing about rejection, actually, as well, is that when we are rejected, we internalise all the feelings and make it all about us. And yet you can never really know what is in the other person's mind. You can never really know you know, what's going on with them. There could be a thousand reasons why they don't want to continue with it anymore. And the chances are only half of them are to do with you, if you're lucky. But I think that that's something I've, I've always noticed is what's wrong with me is not necessarily helpful because the chances are there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that the people you've been meeting are not right for you. Absolutely that. I couldn't agree more. So how do we get to a stage where we can... I guess this is the big question where we can unravel a lot of these issues. And I suppose, given the podcast is about men, how can we make men better equipped to navigate dating and to be better daters and partners? Um, and I guess ultimately also, how can we improve the dating experience itself? You talked about the Google Doc approach before. Is that kind of the way forward or... Do we need to refine dating apps? Is there something in between the dating app and the singles night at the Weatherspoons? Is there something in between that kind of gets us to a better place? I mean, my first tip would be don't go to a singles night at Weatherspoons, <laughs> just to be absolutely clear. Yeah, I've, I've been to a singles night at Weatherspoons and it wasn't, wasn't good. <laughs> God. There's quite a few sailors because it's in Portsmouth. So. I actually love that. <laughs> I think one thing that is happening is uh, social media apps are almost replacing dating apps. I completely agree. Because you can get to know, you can actually get to know someone, I think, because even though social media is never 100% yourself, you, the veneer has to slip eventually. You, you do end up showing real elements of your life. And I think that's why things like, you know, uh, green circles and the good old DMs and the store, you know, people being in each other's stories. I actually find, I mean, I've never done it myself because I've been in a relationship a long time now, but I find there's something quite charming and old fashioned about it almost. It feels like, I don't know, in Bridgerton when they're all going to the park and looking at each other, you know, through their bonnets. There's something quite old school about the the friends to lovers uh, trajectory. Trajectory. What do you think, Emily? I agree, but then also as a woman, I have to field a lot of dick pics in my DMs, which I don't there enjoy. Is that, yeah. um, this and is the big I have said mm. time and time again, there will never be a positive response to this. Stop doing it. There will there will never ever be a date or sex or yeah. anything from this. Do not do it, but it continues to happen. It's delusions of grandeur to think that it would lead to something. Yeah. But this is this is a, this is the problem with 
men's attitude to communication exactly, and, and yeah. seeing it as just a process that they need to get to the next bit. It's the scattergun approach. They just think that they might as well. Mm. And if they spent time, you can always tell a difference between, um, you know, a woman's nude selfie and a man's. Basically, a man will be shot from above, a red, angry penis, terrible, you know, lit like a KFC, the bathroom. <laughs> Normally on a toilet seat, which is just... Chef's kiss. Just like <laughs> either a mirror will be dirty, mm -hmm. some old cosmetics in the background, you know, rancid. And then a woman will, you know, I mean, usually will have put a bit of thought into it. There'll be lighting. There'll be a, say, a beautiful pose. lighting. There'll be artfulness to <laughs> oh, it. Oh, of course. And that's because women don't just fire them out like they're, you know, flyering. Whereas men just think anyone, it, it kind of, it must be very devaluing as a, a woman or, or a, you know, a, a queer man getting these dick pics because you just think oh I could be anyone and I think that is the key for men actually as to as you asked is make people feel a bit more special as if you have taken the time to craft this communication rather than just dropping leaflets to a letterbox which is basically what you're doing and a leaflet nobody wants you're so right yeah post no bills it's um <laughs> but that that's it you know i i would advise any man who wants to slide into someone's dms to ask them about themselves ask them you know questions and then if you are going to sex with them ask them what they like and what they want to see i've been in situations before where i've asked for a picture and it's clearly been from the bank. And I've said, I don't want that. I want you to take a picture for me. And I, you know, I don't want it to be below the waist. I want to see like your sexy arms or whatever. And it's been really nice to then receive that back because that's what I want and that's what I asked for. So yeah. you're, yeah, I couldn't agree more with make the other person feel like they are it's important to you. The fact that they've got you. those pictures in the bank as well. I know, I don't yeah. want it's a picture like from the bank. They've got them on a, on a secure folder. It's, it's like when you apply for a job, you know, the, the oldest, job advice in the world is tailor your cover letter mm. to the job you're applying for and it's exactly the same principle I think for for dating and especially with sliding into dms and definitely if possible build up a rapport in the open you know show that you're not a creep by building a rapport in the public arena mm. rather than taking it straight to the dark room mm -hmm. I think that's so important and I've made some fantastic friends through twitter and have slid into many a DM, um, not always successfully and absolutely not with a dick pic, but it's that case of you need to have that rapport in public. Yeah, you, you need do. to know that you're an honest person. My partner and I chatted on very, I mean, I think we first met on LinkedIn. Can you imagine such a thing? But, um, you know, we chatted on various social media apps for years before anything even blossomed. And it felt much more satisfying because of it, really. That's that's a funny thing, actually, because I was I was reading about um, relationships out that came out of COVID and lockdown, mm -hmm. and how because no one was able to meet, these relationships which blossomed and bloomed through DMs and through Snapchat or whatever these kids are using, um, and how, funnily enough, they're actually more stronger because they had that moment of actually we do have to get to know each other better for this longer period of time before we meet in person. And so we know more about each other when we are in person, and it's a little bit better. We were talking about icks the other day, um, my friends and I, and they said one of the biggest icks is when a man puts on their dating profile, not looking for a pen pal. I mean, <laughs> women love the art of penmanship, and we are all looking for a pen pal because we love a chat. So, you know, talk to us. Talk to us for a long time. Tell us all about yourself. Invest. Mm. Yeah. I mean, not to excuse any of this sort of behaviour, obviously, but is it... Because I, I kind of see it 
as being quite problematic that as men we're still ultimately I guess being told to focus on our physical appearance mm. um, and just looking at the number of men's cosmetics that are on the market now compared to when I was younger it's it's boomed massively and yet we're still there's we're still kind of being peddled this idea that we know what women want it's again the kind of the confident you know muscle muscly man that goes to the gym that takes care of themselves and so there isn't a need to nurture the personality or to nurture the communication as much because this is the kind of person that wins in I guess if you wanted to expand it to this, a modern capitalist society, right? Mm. Where we're all chasing, constantly on this treadmill, chasing, uh, you know, bigger and bigger aspirations and dreams. So how do we, again, how do we get to that that stage where we can encourage men to work on themselves and to develop themselves and to not just think of themselves as these marketable pieces of meat ultimately and not and and also not to think that other people are just interested in that as well i think often when we lament the old days we forget that appearance has always been very very important so you would still find someone hot looking across the bar at them but i think what has changed is that the general standard of athleticism and aesthetic perfection has you know, it's increased hugely. When I was younger, you'd see like three ripped men on TV a year. You know, everyone on soaps looked like they'd slept in a hedge. And now it's like, you know, select model agency reception when you turn on the East Enders. Nobody is that good looking in the East End. Come on. <laughs> so I think that standards generally are frighteningly high. Mm. So um, I wonder if Emily might have a better answer to this question because I don't know what the solution is. I'm just offering really an explanation why we might be feeling a bit more inferior because it seems like everyone is racing towards this aesthetic ideal. Um, and yeah, it's definitely, definitely tough. But there, you know, a good thing actually about apps is that they have allowed people who perhaps don't always fit up to that ideal to find each other or people who live in isolated areas and that kind of thing or don't feel like anybody wants them much better than any walking into any i'm speaking as a gay man really but it's much better than walking into any gay bar would you know where it's always been fairly cheekbones and, and pecs so i don't know honestly how we make men feel better about that other than it's not just you that's quite a simplistic thing to say. <laughs> Never mind. I mean, I mean, it's always been a tricky one. But I would say as well, for anyone that is self-conscious because they don't look like that, people that look like that, that's a full-time job. They spend all their time on looking like that. There is nothing else. Um, so, and also myself, all my friends, everyone I know, emotional intelligence and Riz are way more important than pecs. And they always will be. And... Um, you know, you can't take your body with you as you age. The most important thing is relating to someone, making them laugh, making them feel good about themselves, having great chat. I remember last summer when I was in Ibiza, um, I was 
with my friends and these really hot guys were hitting on us and we were kind of interested but they just had nothing to say and we ended up going back with the nerdiest guys because they were so funny and uh, they were just high-fiving like we won we won they were so happy <laughs> but it was because they had something to say and we had a great time with them and we spent the rest of our trip with them because they you know they had great chat and they were really switched on people and that is always going to be more important no matter how bad you feel about yourself um and you know everyone should take care of themselves and you know make sure that their body's healthy if they can and you know do that for your partner as well you know you don't want to lose someone once you find them because they're really unhealthy and they don't take care of themselves but yeah I mean life is about more than than looking like an, an Instagram model and Instagram models don't even look like Instagram models and we have to remember that too yes yeah. it's all filters and far be it from me to denigrate the lovable himbos but as Emily said you know it really is a full-time job unless you are genetically blessed as does occasionally happen it's a full-time job looking like that and the guys who look like that on the apps they're probably not going to get past the second or third date because there isn't really a lot more. Once you have got over the initial physical attraction, you have to have something else. You do have to have something else. But again, my sense is that all of this has just accelerated with the internet and social media, right? Because we had this in magazines and films, TV before, and now we've got Instagram and social media and, um, you know, all sorts of other apps that are really just focused on these short, you know, five-second five clips or photographs that have been massively doctored. And so I, it feels, I get the sense that there is just more and more focus being placed on, on image, yeah. that you don't necessarily need to have anything to say because we're all looking for someone who dresses well and who has a perfect body because that's what social media is doing. Yeah, but um, the clothes come off and, you know, like, as Emily said, the body doesn't stay with you as you age. Um, yeah. I think the biggest um, kind of evidence of, of of that being a thing is in Love Island, where they all look, I mean, they're all Greek gods and goddesses, but would you have a anything longer than a 15-minute conversation with them without wanting to leave? Yeah. I'm not really sure. I'm going to stick up for them because I'm friends with a lot of people from that show. So okay, I'm just well. going to interject and say a lot of them are great. A lot of them, not so much. Yeah. But, you know, you're right. It's like, you know, it's a full-time job looking like that. They, they're carving out a job for themselves. The industry they're going into is very much focused on the way they look. Yeah. It's, you know, none of them are rocket scientists. And that's cool because that's all that show is about. We're not looking for, you know, the next professor of NASA from Love Island. I mean, I'd watch that show. So would I. <laughs> I mean, it does depend what you're looking for as well. Some people are just looking for that, yes. And they will usually find each other. Mm. But if you are not that person and you are not looking for that yourself, then these people aren't going to be right for you anyway. And it's, I always remember when I was on the apps and on a dating website, every man seemed to be six feet tall. And I thought, isn't this interesting? Because I'm not six feet tall. I'm just five, nine and a half. And a half is very important. Every man seems to be six feet tall. And I was fascinated by this. And then they'd turn up and they'd be the same height as me. So, you know, this kind of stuff, like you say, the brief stories and the photos online. Yes, sure. But in, eventually you will have to meet these people in real life. And that facade will fall away immediately. Mm. And it's some things that you just can't tell through looking at a screen, like what they smell like or how yeah. they sound or what their breath smells like you know those things 
they rub off on you in like situations, in dating situations, which you just don't get when you're, you know, swiping. That's why I love a voice note, because I'm very orally stimulated. If I could meet someone and there have been a couple of moments where they've just had the wrong voice. And that's why I love the fact that the pandemic really gave us the gift of voice notes. I I, I think voice notes are um, a marvel, actually. Mm. I, I know they're a Marmite kind of thing with people who don't like them because they like the don't like the sound of their own voice and I'm you know doing a podcast so I can't really say that but um <laughs> you know I, I do think they're fantastic for dating because when you're like long-term relationships as well like being able to hear someone else's voice and not doing like a phone call which feels like a commitment but doing a voice note which is seven minutes long you know it's yeah, a little guilty, bit different sorry. yeah I well in, I've I done it as podcast. well <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah I think they are marvelous things um I was going to ask actually about the kind of because it's not just dating apps and it's not just um, Tinder and Hinge and whatever. There is the real world out there. And one thing I wanted to ask is the situations which quite often we draw ourselves on, into in real life where we do meet people tends to be at work. And I think that is such a big part of our lives anyway. And is there perhaps a way of... Um, for men to understand what the relationship sort of side is at work? Is there too is there too much of an issue going too far? Or is, you know, you could have got to have that barrier of work and like love life or, because I think that there is an element that men perhaps go into work, and I'm certainly guilty of this myself, going to work thinking they're gonna find their future wife and it just doesn't happen. Um, I'm just wondering if that's something you've ever encountered or if it's something that happens. I feel as though this is a tricky one because obviously you spend sometimes more time at work than you do with your own family and your your friends um, and work crushes are a really big thing and loads of people meet at work and I've certainly had kind of office flirtations, put it that way, um, which I think corporate culture is not really set up to, you know, that's a no-no and it's not allowed, but it's going to happen. Um, but then we had this kind of big... Me Too moment where a lot of people then got very reactive and men were saying how scared they were to even say hello to someone at work, which I thought was ridiculous because no one's going to tell you off for saying hello, don't be pathetic. But all of that kind of office romance stuff kind of started trending down or became more taboo or was more kind of, you're really putting yourself out there if you dare to have an office romance and also there's a kind of power imbalance issue with the fact that a lot of the time um because we you know in this country we still have a wage gap we still have more senior people than positions that identify as male um you know a lot of my friends have felt they've had to leave their jobs because they've been in a situation with someone more senior to themselves and it's kind of always like the the junior person that takes the the rap for it um or you know has to feel uncomfortable or pushed out because their job's not as important and normally those people are female. So um, yeah, there's a, a lot of tensions I think with office romances. Um, you must have come across your fair share of people asking you your opinion on these, Justin. Yeah, um, it's a boundaries thing, isn't it? I think, I don't, yeah, like you say, there was the whole overreaction after Me Too where men and uh a lot of women, like women columnists as well, would write about, oh, men can't even flirt with us anymore or whatever. That's obviously not true. I think the culture was changing anyway, to be honest. A lot of workplaces 
would rather you didn't have relationships at work as well. There's the power imbalance that you talked about, Emily, as well, you know, between because often there's a senior member of staff and a junior member of staff, and, and again, often the, the, the man is the senior member of staff. I think it's boundaries in general, and men are quite frightened of them because they are tricky. Um, crossing them, being too cautious, even talking about having boundaries feels to them like they're doing something wrong. And I think it's because boundaries they feel quite new they feel almost like magazine speak you know when I'm, I've written about them a few times but I don't think a large number of people are sitting down and really talking about them um that's not to say that they shouldn't be obviously and I do think um as time goes on you know as each generation begins to mature and, and go through their various experiences then they'll realize the importance of boundaries as this kind of stuff is talked about more I do think it's a shame that we are now working from home more in a way because those interactions that can lead to even friendships, I think. But yeah, I don't really know what the answer is to the question. I think I think yeah. it's very important sometimes to say when you don't know. But yeah, I I understand it is very difficult for men to act in a certain way at work. I think. Yeah, I think, and just for context, we are we're, we're talking at um, the sort of time when. Uh, the CBI, um, the Confederation of British Industry, a huge, great big business group, has essentially destroyed itself because of really serious allegations of um, sexual misconduct for the chair and various other um, male senior colleagues. And that has taken that's taken business world by storm, just from my own perspective, my own work. Um, that has had a sort of another mini Me Too moment where businesses are setting up and there's little diversity working groups are sort of popping up all over the place and I don't know if that's genuine and I don't know if that's meant to actually solve problems or if it's just a, a reaction. But. I mean this is the problem as well is we have had a many high profile cases yeah. of this kind of thing happening of you know men being super creepy on LinkedIn that kind of thing you know when we're talking at the moment one of the highest profile media stories at the moment is a television presenter potentially abusing their position by having a relationship with a much younger uh, junior colleague this is a reality that we're living in so you can understand why men would be perhaps be reluctant to have relationships at work but that's not to say that dating at work is over it's just that the workplace culture generally we're heading towards being more professional being more detached emotionally and physically because we're sitting at home i think we look at work in a different way now we're all very um, career focused we've all got side hustles this kind of thing work really is less of a social interaction now than it was it's it's work yeah, you get paid and you go home. Yeah. yeah. I do also think we still live in an era where slut shaming is still so prevalent that also not wanting to act on your desires at work because you want to be seen as professional um, is, you know, far better for most people than being seen as someone who isn't professional because obviously, though, you know, being sexual and being professional at two ends of a spectrum um, for men and women, but especially for women, you know, um, our politicians are the lads and they can do whatever they want and they can father as many children as they like and they can be as involved in as many sex scandals as the day is long. But um, you don't really find that we have many female politicians um, that are not vicars' daughters. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And if there, when, if in some cases when that does happen, that I mean, a high-profile woman is having an affair or whatever, they're absolutely destroyed in the mm. tabloid media. Yeah. And there is such an imbalance there that... 
yeah, it just reflects the kind of sexist sort of society that we have. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Love Cupboard.